What's up, Zero to Here podcast fans? Welcome back to the show. This is a super, super exciting night, day, whatever time you're listening to this. This is our 100th episode, guys. Thank you so much for your support. We love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. We know the beginning of the podcast was not super great. We weren't super great, but it's getting better. And this episode is outstanding for our 100th episode of the podcast. And some super big news. I want you all to grab a beer and cheers me. We are officially retiring the Zero to Hear podcast name. Zero to Hear podcast will be moving forward as the Denny Dumas podcast. It's exciting. New logo. We're going to do some sweet swag. We're pumped. Better guests. Well, not necessarily better. The same quality of awesome, ridiculously great guests moving forward. It's going to be fun. New adventure. Looking forward to 101. Looking forward to the next 100. Thank you for sticking with us. We love you guys. We would love to hear feedback. Shoot us messages. We just want to hear feedback. We want to, we want to continue to grow and get better. Episode 100, a really inspirational dude that I have had the luxury of getting to know pretty well in the last decade, Randy Knorr. He was a phenomenal basketball player. He won championships at the high school, collegiate, and professional level. Played for the Canadian national team. Coached me at UBC, coached at UBC for six years. Now is uh, running businesses throughout Greater Vancouver. He's a really inspirational dude. He's battled a... <laughs> couple spurts of a very serious illness that we chatted about. Um, awesome guy. It's something, someone who you can take something away from, just his mindset, his outlook on life, his uh, optimism. Very, very in-depth, very cool conversation that I gathered a lot from. Hope you guys get a lot from it as well. Continue to follow along. Thank you for... Uh, hanging out with us for 100 episodes, looking forward to providing some more fantastic conversations in the near future. I, I really want to start with an update on hospitality. Okay. I'm pumped because the summer is starting. Sunshine's out. Yeah, patio's going to be, be opening. Open. Yeah, I what's going? I heard. I read something on Facebook today that said, uh, "I don't know if this is accurate or not." One of my friends posted it, but Changes is it Doctor Bonnie? Yeah, announced fifty percent capacity max in restaurants Changed today. Okay. Yep, that was yesterday. <laughs> Isn't this crazy? Yeah, Every and it was different the day before. In the last three days, it's, it's changed twice. So three days ago, it was tables just had to be six feet apart. Yeah. Then Dr. Bonnie said 50% capacity. Today, I just got an email at, I don't know, 3.30. No, we're back to just six feet apart and we're not worried about capacity. Because most people, your capacity is probably half or even less than that once you start moving tables around. Totally. Yeah, so... The other thing that was in this post, and I have no idea, because they mentioned the six feet apart, they mentioned 50% capacity. The other thing was one person in each group has to 
leave their contact information yes. and the pubs have to hold on to it for 30 days. Yes. Or, sorry, restaurants, whatever yeah. it is. Is that accurate? It is. <laughs> yeah, so if me and you for come in purpose? one of so that if there was an outbreak in your location, you, you would could, I, I would you assume you someone? you would give the list to them, and then they would contact and be like, "Hey, were you in a pub on this date?" Just to let you know, there was someone that had COVID. Yeah, but like, why hospitality specifically, right? Well, like, it's funny because when they when it came out, I was like, "It makes sense," but we all go into grocery stores that they don't ask. We all go like. I don't know. I mean, it's it's it sounds really good from the purpose of like, if there was an outbreak, you'd be able to f- track it. But we don't do it at any other step. Like Costco's got people lined up all over the place, and they're gonna have more people in Costco than I'm gonna have in my pub. Dude, way more touching, way more things. Where like you go into a pub, and I guess it's because when you go into a pub, you're you're in a location or in a restaurant you're just in a location and you're there for a certain amount of time where i guess they're saying in a costco you're kind of moving around the whole time but to me all the costcos and all the things look like you're standing on a lot of lines so in grocery stores you're touching a lot of stuff too right like produce yeah. you have avocados like you touch every single one trying to find a ripe one right yeah i'm pretty sure that's uh frowned upon nowadays though <laughs> isn't it <laughs> it's just luck of the draw yeah it's kind of like that claw machine. When you drop the claw, and yeah. you just get one egg or whatever. Yeah, you're, whatever you're yeah. stuck with. So, yeah. But it's crazy. Like, it's been changing by the day. Like, there was measurements that changed. They, two, three days ago, said its tables are just six feet apart. So, we were pretty excited about that because when you're not factoring the chairs. Yeah. But then they're like, the next day, they're like, no, 50% capacity and it's like person to person, which I, it makes more sense, but that's not what they said the day before. So we had to go and remeasure all, every location. And yeah, it's, it's been an interesting time. That's for sure. Man. What about um, like staff? Have you communicated? I'm assuming you've communicated with all the staff now. If you're yeah, open I have and all, all the general managers have. Yeah. And uh, we have, I'd say half the staff coming back. Because obviously with being way less capacity, we're assuming that we're not going to be as busy. Um, So we're not bringing back all the staff in this kind of wave. And we're just kind of, I mean, we've contacted all the staff. And most of the staff are pretty good. And most of them are excited to come back to work. We did have some in one of our locations that uh, said that they didn't want to come back. They didn't, you know, they feel unsafe. It's funny when you tell certain people though, and you ask them, "Hey, or Denny, are you going to come to work?" And you're, like, "No, you know, I, 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 don't think I'm going to." Then you go, "Well, just so you know, then we got to change your ROE so that you're saying you quit, so you probably won't get that free money." They're like, "Well, you know, maybe I'll think about it again." We've had a few of those, so which is, but what's yeah. the, I? It's interesting because what is their comfort level like? Because it's. My experience is talking to like clients and friends, and most of which are under forty. Mm-hmm. And it seems like most under forty are being slightly more cautious, not touching people, not shaking hands, but like their day to day lives are going on fairly normally. <clears throat> but then, obviously, a lot of the older people are wearing masks twenty four seven, and mm-hmm. you know, trying to not go out of their home. So, like, 
Yeah, I think we, because we have a wide variety of people that work for us, I think we kind of hit the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. So we have some people that are, you know, middle aged and just, they just think it's silly and they're just like, come on, let's go back to work. And then we have some younger people that are, we have a, a, quite a few single moms that are working for us. Yeah. So they, they've got some <laughs> different challenges with, you know, daycare mm-hmm. and they're worried about the new, um, I think there's a new, version of covid that's affecting kids not that's in bc but i think it's been in there's been one case of it in montreal Mm. so um that was brought up i know in a few of the meetings so yeah it's uh it's interesting all the different uh scenarios you see where a lot of people are just like "Mm." (laughs) then we get some people that are like really nervous and kind of everybody's a little different on this one yeah yeah what i guess what are the main things that have changed has like any way in terms of food prep change changing or i don't know like servers even like i'm thinking about restaurants and all the things that i used to do bartending like roll-ups like i would put a knife and a fork together and i would roll them into a napkin and then give it to someone but that means i'm touching the knife and fork is that kind of stuff i I guess my question is how would you give it to them without touching it so what our plan is, is that we are still going to do that. We're just maybe going to add some steps where maybe you washed your hands before you did it. Yeah. Maybe you didn't. So we're just, anytime that you touch money, before you touch anything else, you got to wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Before you roll, do roll-ups, you got to wash your hands. And then our plan is, is then how we would give it to people will be slightly different. You'll use napkins to... So that you're not t- touching cutlery. Mm. Um, are you it, accepting cash though? We are. We're just preferring to use debit and credit. But if someone only way of paying is cash, which does still happen nowadays. Yeah. I mean, it's rarer. But um, we will accept that we're just... Uh, it's funny, tomorrow I got to go to the bank because <clears throat> all of the pubs, we put all the money into the bank... We don't have no floats or we don't have any money or anything. So I got to go pick up a bunch of cash tomorrow for all the pubs. So You run how many pubs now? Five. And how many liquor stores? Uh, well, four. <clears throat> we have five within our group. Uh, I really am only responsible for four though. How, I'm assuming a little bit here, but how much busier the liquor store has been in the last two months? Yeah, they're they're busier. Yeah, they're, they're significantly busier. It's kind of like Christmas. <laughs> every like that, day is Christmas. That that week of Christmas where it's like, kind of every day is that much busier. It's kind of like that. Mm. Not not all of ours, but most of them. You you can see that that there's been an increase. I think I was talking to you about this a couple of days ago, but um, a lot of the locations you guys lease. So, so, so right, yeah. So what's that like we, relationship been like with landlords? We have uh, four locations that we lease out of ten. Um, one of them's a liquor store, so that's fine. We have three pubs that are leases, and it's been a struggle. So one of the landlords has been great at our Surrey location. She's worked with us kind of from the beginning. Um, realized that we had zero income, that the government closed us, so she. We worked out a very fair deal while we're closed. The other two, who were both run by big organizations, 
um, both of being ruthless and just being like, nope, you got to pay all the rent. And even when the government announced their 75% thing, we sent them emails and they're like, nope, we don't have to do that. Why would we want to take a 25% hit? And it's just, they know that they have you on these legal, on the lease documents. So they're just like, they want all their money. So it's, I mean, I, I see their point where, I mean, a lot of them are big. Like one of them is a, the Teachers Foundation out of Toronto is uh, is one of the things. So I'm sure that the, the money is already accounted for. So what would be the disadvantage of them? Like just taking off X amount of money per month, let's say 50% and putting it onto the back end of the lease when everything reopens. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't know enough about leases to, that would make the most amount of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess that just from a cash flow standpoint, you'd have a few months where you didn't have as much money coming in. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, we're talking about a, a fair amount of money. I mean, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, in, it's been interesting to see how we've got one that's, so of our four, two of them are family run and two of them are like hedge funds and, and they're very, very different in their approach. Mm-hmm. And one of them's already sent us stuff going after legal action where it's like, if we don't have a check, we're, so it's, it's been a little stressful. So what do you think the next couple of months are going to look like in hospitality? Well, I think they're going to be really slow. I think that, I mean, when you're comparing them to last year's numbers, I mean, never mind, you're going to have 50 to 55% of your seats. I think that you're going to, kind of like we were talking about earlier, where you're going to have lots of people that are okay with going out, but there's still going to be a big chunk of society that's like, I'm not going out. And... Mm. Um. Yeah, I, I'm just. We're, uh, let's just say I'm not expecting it to be really, really busy. No, I, I, I would expect on sunny days it might be a little bit busier. More people might be a little, you know, willing to get out of the house if they could go and sit on a patio. Yeah, that fresh air. So the good thing for us is that we do have some pretty <clears throat> good patios and some fairly big ones. So wasn't there something about? <clears throat> the government allowing more seats on the patio or extending patios or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it was, the big focus was in Va- for Vancouver, where there's a lot of restaurants that don't have patios, right. and Vancouver's got a bunch of uh, uh, restrictions on size of patios, and like you're only allowed, you know, a certain <laughs> so many seats and, and the hours. Right, the, it, you have to close much earlier than the actual restaurant does. Yeah, I mean. To be honest, that's one of the things we're looking at is we're probably not going to open with the same hours that we mm. had before. We'll probably restrict the hours too because a lot of our business in our locations is um, a lot of birthday parties, a lot of um, fundraisers, and a lot of big events where we're not expecting a lot of those. So, I mean, one of our locations turns into a bit of a nightclub. So that component of our business just is won't be there. So how's that changing? Have you heard, is there Well, they're not even allowed to open. Nightclubs are not allowed to open. No, they're not even I think they're in phase three. So mm. yeah, I know. Is I've, this coming week phase two? Tomorrow is the start of phase two. Two. And there's no like date on phase three yet. 
That would be like events and festivals and stuff like that? No, I think so that's, that's four. Even, oh, really? Yeah. Because a nightclub is almost like a, like it's like a concert. Yeah, and like people go to nightclubs to dance and be close to people. So yeah. until that six-foot distancing is not a thing, I don't see them being open. Mm. Yeah. It's a crazy world, man. Yeah. So. It's almost surreal like living through this stuff. Because yeah. you hear so much conflicting information and it's you want to take it really seriously. But then on the other hand, there's a lot of people that are saying like, this is not as serious as everyone's saying. And then on the other side, people are saying like, oh, yeah. this is going to kill you if you go outside. Yeah. So it's, like, it's so hard to, especially with the age that we're in where social media, media is so prevalent and anyone can post a YouTube video saying like, I've done all this research, here's all the facts, blah, 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 blah. blah. How do you know what is yeah, what <laughs> real and what's not real? Yeah. It, Even like you hear rumors, maybe they're conspiracy theories about like Funchy, uh, the US guy, having like having the medication and the vaccine trademarked. <laughs> he's like, he's got it. He's just like waiting for the right time to release it to make as much money as he can. Yeah. I don't know if that's real. I don't know if that's conspiracy. How do you figure that information out? Yeah. It, it that's the problem. There's so much information and you don't know what to believe. Yeah. And then you hear one thing, then the next day you're hearing it's the complete totally opposite of yeah. it. So I think people just have to make, pick one source, you know, do an educated, a kind of an educated guess on who you think the person is that you're going to follow. I'd say in BC, I think we're kind of lucky. She seems like she's got a pretty good head mm-hmm. on her shoulders. The, health minister there so yeah i mean we've been very very conservative in our approach and it's probably the right thing i mean i think a lot of our success was a bit of a fluke to be honest the fact that we just it 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 happened before our spring break yeah so we just had less people that had traveled like i know about 15 people that work for me that their flights their trips got canceled like they were going Mexico, <clears throat> Europe, like you name it, they were going, and all of their travel plans got. No, if was, if this would have happened two weeks <clears throat> later, all of those people are coming back on planes, and you know totally. what I mean. Yeah. So, I was supposed to go on a bachelor party on March fourteenth, I think, for four nights to Chicago, and the night before, at like eleven p.m., our whole group is texting each other. There's like twelve of us. We're like, oh, we probably shouldn't go, but we really want to go. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and whatever, we yeah. decided not to go. The plane still left. Yeah. It wasn't like our flight was canceled, but we decided not to go. Looking back, it was probably the right decision to do, but maybe. <laughs> who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess the, it probably was. You would have got there, all the bars would have been closed mm-hmm. or any other establishments that you were going to. I don't know if they would have been yet. I think that was the weekend that that changed because instead we went to Whistler. Uh, and Whistler closed on the the Monday. So we were uh, or seventh, sixteenth, sixteenth or seventeenth. I can't remember. Yeah, we were there Friday, Saturday, left Sunday morning. Uh, All of Whistler closed on Monday. You guys partied so that like, hard, eh? You closed her down. <laughs> coffee shops, bars, the mountain closed. Everything that yeah. next day. Do you have a good stag? Like, it wasn't mine. Uh, yeah, it was fun. I don't know. It was fun. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people there. 
Yeah. Went to Longhorns during the day and there was like, I don't know, 500 people in there at least. There was something on Twitter <laughs> then like three days later, there was a photo of like some girl standing on a chair in Longhorns saying like, this is what Whistler was doing, whatever, two days before mm-hmm. they shut down. And <laughs> one of my friends is in the background of the photo. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was for us, St. Patty's Day is our biggest day of the year. I mean, we yeah. have two Irish bars, like that's our Super Bowl. And you and, closed two days before. And we literally closed. Well, we found the fit. We were down to 50 people the oh, day yeah. before, or maybe yeah. the, that day. Like, I had people texting me, like, are we still doing the party? Are we still? I'm like, as of now, we're still doing it. Yeah. Then, yeah, like it was just everything was happening so quick. When they closed pubs, they made the announcement at like three o'clock. And then the, you had to be closed by like six. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. So I think I like the long term effects that <clears throat> what do you want to maybe Google what is the total amount of money that the government of Canada has dished out right now? I want to say it's like a couple hundred billion dollars. Oh man, I can't even imagine. It's probably huge. Like, I wonder if that number is how accurate that number can even how, be. Yeah, how, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. It, I, the, it, yeah, I mean. You don't you don't want to put money in lives and stuff, to, but like you just look in BC where, what's the death count at right now? Do you know a hundred? Do you want to look? I was gonna say like two hundred something. No, it's in the hundreds. Yeah. I think it was like one hundred thirty something. That's it. Yeah. And oh, wow. of that one hundred thirty something, let's say that eighty percent of that is coming out of old age homes. There's like a couple of care facilities that had a lot, right? And of <laughs> what I would be curious at is. What would the number normally be, be during flu season? Because yeah. like there's when there's just a regular flu, like the normal flu that happens in October, the death toll in those places goes up. One of the hardest things for me to, <clears throat> I think I took it fairly seriously, like pretty seriously. Um, but one of the really difficult things for me to try to understand is that anyone that had COVID was counted or like had COVID symptoms, was counted as a COVID case. Mm-hmm. Even though lots of them weren't tested, even though lots of them had other illnesses. So like one famous guy in the States, he's a comedian, Michael Yu. Yu, I think his last name is. Yo. Yo, Michael Yo, yeah. He was one of the first cases to, from New York or something like that. Mm-hmm. He was in the hospital and they diagnosed him with COVID. But he also had double pneumonia in both lungs. And so he was on a podcast talking about his experience with COVID. And he's like, I couldn't breathe. And I'm thinking in my head, that's probably from the pneumonia, man. Like, yeah. You had him in both lungs. That's pretty bad. <laughs> but automatically his illness is due to COVID, not due to yeah. other illnesses that he had. Yeah. And I, like, again, I don't know if this is a conspiracy or not, but I've heard so many different doctors and nurses from the States say that they had been pressured into announcing deaths as COVID deaths yeah, without testing. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense if people are dying and they were brought in for symptoms that seem to be that maybe it was one of the causes, maybe they were very sick before and this kind of pushed them over there. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's mm-hmm. normally what happens in these old age 
facilities. Mm-hmm. Is people aren't dying because of the flu. The flu is what pushes them over the limits. Really weak. They're immune like their weak immune system. They just yeah. can't fight it off. And unfortunately, this is a very intense version of that. And yeah. It has some extreme effects and certain people, but there's a lot of people that have it and don't even know, right? So that's yeah, a tricky one to look at the the overall effect because the financial effect on the on the world. I mean we have no I guess idea, the only right? the only good thing is is there's not one country that's not affected financially. Hmm. I mean we're all in the same boat. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but at least no one's getting up on. There's no country that's dominating or doing much better than any other country. I mean, everybody's had to kind of take the same approach. Except Sweden. Is Sweden, Sweden stayed open? Ones that is just like herd immunity, will people figure it out? Yeah, so uh, I, I played basketball in Sweden, yeah. so I've been following the Sweden one a little bit. And uh, their death toll i remember when i looked at it a couple of weeks ago in sweden they were comparing sweden to Nor- uh, denmark and norway um, similar sized countries sweden or sweden didn't close anything and was like yeah if you have a weak immune system don't come out exactly yeah. if you um we're not going to have big gatherings but we're not closing our pubs and restaurants if you want to go go like don't ha- like they didn't have concerts and those types of things and then work um, that could be done with space. They did, but they're like, "Yeah, just go out, wash your hands." Now their death toll was significantly higher than Norway's and um, Denmark's. Who pr- shut down? Who shut down? Yeah, but it was like the financial. I'd be curious to see. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you don't want to put a price on on someone's life, but. It'd be interesting to see which country comes out of it. Because, I mean, there's going to be a lot of deaths that aren't going to be COVID, but are going to be related to it. I mean, stress, one of the biggest killers. I mean, as as someone that owns businesses, it's a stressful time, you know? so Stress, unemployment is going to be a huge one. Yeah. People who are just living paycheck to paycheck now get their paycheck cut off and they can't pay rent and... yeah. Home, I don't know that trickle, or using that trickle drugs down to effect. try to yeah. supplement the stress or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, strange. It's very, very, very strange. <clears throat> this really has no correlation. Slightly, I just want to mention it because I haven't told anyone because I saw this a couple days ago. I was driving, stop at a red light a couple days ago. Look over, guy next to me in his truck, <laughs> wearing a mask, down below his mouth, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> Dude, the cigarette is much worse for you, man. Yeah. You got to love that logic. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense. The best one I saw was, uh, I think I saw it on Facebook. It was someone who was wearing a mask and was trying to do something because he was wearing gloves. So he pulled his mask down and he was biting to pull his gloves <laughs> off. God. Like, that's like the ultimate worst thing to do. But anyways. We're trying. Yeah, baby we're trying, steps. just not super smart trying. <laughs> it's okay. We'll get through it. I don't really know how to bring this up. I just want to mention a couple of things from my uh, athletic career growing up. And one of, there's a couple of things that I remember super, super clearly. Mm-hmm. And they were, 
I don't know. I guess pushes in the right direction. You were responsible for one of them. I don't mm-hmm. even know if you're going to remember this. There was one from U17 provincial team camp that I remember a coach said something to me that just like reassured that I was doing the right things. Cause I always, I always thought as a kid, if I could work harder than other people, I was going to be better than them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the mindset I've kind of dragged out of sport into life, into and business work, yeah. and life. And one of the other ones that really sticks out in my head was something you wrote on a, like, I don't know, report card, would you say? I think it was a CP training session or something okay, like that. Yeah, and yeah. you, f- it might have been my first year, grade nine, yep. going in. And at the end of, C- at the end, I think it was like a tryout to get into CP. And yep. they pick like eight guys each age group or something like that. Yep. Anyway, it was my first year, grade nine. And I look at my report card and Randy, Randy was one of the t- uh, coaches through training camp or something. Look at my report card. It's like shooting, whatever, three out of five. Defense, three out of five. Left hand, one out of five. <laughs> Work ethic, five out of five. And the only comment he wrote at the bottom was, this is the only reason this kid's good. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like me. Jeez. <laughs> so like going in, obviously growing up, Two older brothers, I figure that like the only thing I can control is work ethic. And if yep. I work harder than people, I'm going to be better than them. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what I took through sport and now into life. And so getting those little reassurances from people that I admire, obviously like you that played for national team, played professional, uh, those are pretty big. And then there was one in U17, but that, I think that was the first one. <laughs> and I, like, I think a lot of kids would look at that and be like, huh. Kind of sucks. <laughs> I think I sucks. <laughs> like I can't shoot. I can't. I have no left hand. All I do is work hard. That kind of sucks. But I looked at it and I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm on the right track." <laughs> do you remember writing that? No, I don't remember writing it. It's so weird why like stupid little things like that stick out in your mind. Yeah, it's funny when I run into people uh, all the time in different scenarios where I'll run into them and I've either played against them as I'm running into more people that I've coached in that environment or yeah. like at camps and those types of things. And they'll bring up things They're like, Oh, remember when you said this? I was like, yeah, no, I've done lots of basketball camps. <laughs> and that sounds like something I would say. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny on the report card one because, uh, I remember writing some comments on certain people's ones, but I don't think I was the one who filled in the report cards. Mm. Okay. I think it was because one year it was Scott Clark. I think Scott was there that year. And yeah. uh, one year it was Goulet. So me and Goulet kind of did it together a couple of years. Now I'm not sure if that was your grade 12 year or after you were done. But yeah, it's uh, lots of times those it would be like someone would have filled it out and then you kind of just grabbed cards and wrote different things, you know? So, and because you were one of the few people that I knew, I probably probably make sense that I would have written on yours, you know? It was so funny. Remember looking at it and be like, huh, that's all they have to say about me. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too funny. Um, this is something I wanted to bring up because I, I look at my sport career as like I talk about adversity and whether it's real adversity mm-hmm. comparatively to like other people's situations or not, I don't know. I can't really compare, but I look at the losses and all that kind of stuff and think 
well, I remember them really, really vividly, but think like, I want to use this to keep mm-hmm. getting better. You won everything though. So when I look at your career, you won two high school championships. Yeah. You won two college championships. Yeah. You won two university championships. Yeah. Then you won two professional championships. Yeah. But there's so, some things in there. So like one of the big ones is um, when I was in grade 10, my high school team was ranked one and two all year. And uh, I I was always one of those like kind of like you where I thought I could like outwork people and thinking that like, I remember that was one of the first years they had a grade 10 provincials. So you had to finish, I don't know, top five at Fraser Valley's. Yeah. Our first or second game, we lose. Out. So it was funny for me because my grade 10 year, we thought we were this, we were going to win provincials. And then all of a sudden, we don't even make provincials. And then the end of my grade 10 year, I went and played on the senior team. And I still remember the, uh, the coach at the time, they had a pretty good team. And he knew that our grade 10 team was quite good. And had, so he, he had like four or five of us come up. But they had a rule that before any of us could play, um, everybody had to play that was already on the team. <laughs> and what ended up happening was, is I think we lost our first game and then we won all the rest of the games after that. And as one of those ones where our, I know our last game was for fifth or seventh and I was starting. So I went from not playing in the first game or very, very little and kind of was a fun one to, but I still remember how that feeling of not making it. So then had success grade 11 and 12. And I would say a lot of that has to do with the disappointment in grade 10. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Fraser Valley my first year. It's the only year I've ever played basketball and not made playoffs. We had to win one of our two last games going into the final weekend. We played up in Kelowna on Friday night, drove back down and played Trinity Western on Saturday, lost both. And like I was a big part of that team and just couldn't lead us to that championship like part of it was just like the mesh of the team but I mean at the end of the day I was I was our leading scorer as a freshman but couldn't couldn't get us to, to that point I mean maybe being young and not understanding the college game I mean it's one of those ones when you're college university everybody thinks they're good and you, I mean, you're a certain level of good, but when you're playing against 22, 23 year old guys as an 18 year old, there's still a big difference. So um, that obviously had a really big impact on my second and third year in college. And then I kind of was able to use my college stuff to really make the right decision for my university stuff. So when I had my first year at Fraser Valley and didn't have success. I I put a lot more thought into where I was going to go my next year, the type of coach I was going to play for, um, different factors that I knew were going to be really important, and um, went and played for Kev, um, and that was a great fit. I mean, we had a nice two year run where I'm not sure what our record is, but 
I know my last year we were 40 and two, but the year before was probably with Mitch was probably 35 and five or something like that. Like, so when it was time to start looking to the next step, it was, uh, like Kev really helped me through that whole process where there were some teams, remember Manitoba and Winnipeg and those schools like, Hey, we want you to come. And Kev's like, he's not coming to your school. <laughs> like straight out, Randy wants to win. Like if he doesn't want to win, he's going to go to UBC because then he'll go, he'll stay local and he'll do that. But he really wants to win. And it was because I had that experience my first year where I was just like, I can't go and be around a bunch of people that are just here to have a good time. And mm. if winning is not your number one thing, I'm not going to be a good fit. So then I kind of was able to bring that to St. of X. And when I went to St. of X, we had a really good team. They just didn't have point guard. So that's why I went there. Um, then my first year playing pro, same thing. It was a disappointing year. And it was part of the reason that I went my next year. So, and that's the year that we won it. So I did have those things in there, even though it sounds like I've won lots of championships. There are those defining, like, oh, still losing. I think it was MEI my grade 10 year. It just drives me nuts. You know, I, there's, there's a few losses in there that really, really hurt. <laughs> so, through, do you remember like throughout your college career thinking about, like consciously taking time to think about those losses. Like what? Oh yeah, you're one of the most competitive people I've ever played a basketball game against. I think one of the best lines that <laughs> really sums me up is a lot of people like like winning, but when you get to the point where you hate losing more than you like winning, mm-hmm. that really sums me up. Like I'm I'm just a bad loser. Like I, <laughs> yeah, like it just I'm yeah, like I'm doing anything to win. cheat pull shorts like like it's it's bad like i'm just i'm going down swinging i'm just and that's always kind of been my approach when i was playing like so it was always really bad in men's league carl when randy thought he got fouled at one end of the court (laughs) because then at the other end if you go to the hoop you're just getting hit sticked like straight tackle oh man (laughs) Uh, those are my best at open gyms. The people that, uh, <laughs> if if it's what is it, defense calls or offense calls, yeah. no problem. You don't call foul on me. I got no problem. You'll be picking yourself off the ground. <laughs> uh, so, where did that? Do you remember where that like original mentality came from? I totally do. Uh, when I was young, it was a really big deal. So my high school team. Uh, the kids older than me, they used to play at lunchtime in the morning and there'd be five on five games and teachers sometimes would play and because lunch is only 40 minutes, like we would start playing right away. Like people didn't eat lunch and you tried to play the whole lunch. And then what would happen is people would come in the gym and they'd watch. So I remember like being in grade eight and they'd be like, hey, do you want to come play? And being crappy. Then being grade nine and be like, hey, do you want to play? Then I remember there was a week when I was in grade 10 because my grade 10 team was really good to the point where like my grade 10 team thought we could beat the seniors. And so we played lots of times in the morning. It'd be like five of us versus five of them. 
And we got kicked out of the gym for a week because it turned into a fight and like it was super, like we beat them and it was one of the like kind of what we're talking about where it's like if you got fouled and didn't call it, you'd foul them even harder. So like to win those games sometimes at lunch, it had to be like a step back three because if you went to the hoop, you're just going to get murdered. (laughs) And still to this day, like one of the things that's really common with every good team off Blade on is their practices and those things. And because I had the same high school coach for five years, um, he really brought that, got us to play with a big intensity, like drills. And so I, I, I think a lot of it has to do early on in high school, just wanting to play and keep playing. Because sometimes if you lost, you like you weren't going to get to play the rest of the lunchtime or before school and we kind of did that my whole high school career. Like even when I was in grade 12, guys would come, get there at 7.15, and we would play from 7.15 till the first bell went at 8.20. And there was like normally two teams playing plus four to six guys. Sometimes we'd have like enough that we had two teams. So if you sat, if you lost, you had to sit at two games. And like we would do everything. Like we'd mix it up sometimes and there'd be like, you know, sometimes two two of the better players and a few guys, and like it was just just competitive, competitive battles with guys that I'm still really good friends with. Where like we would be fighting and really going after it. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, it's funny because when I play in like men's league and stuff with some of these guys, some of them are, aren't that good of players, but they're super competitive because they have that. So like when you play men's league and you try, like you're just you're better than someone who's a better basketball player, right? So it's uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So, but I, that's that's definitely where I got it was early on in my high school, just getting after it. I'm assuming you're watching The Last Dance. Oh man, I was up this morning at six. On the sca- on like on the topic of winning, yeah. Jordan was always seen like <clears throat> crying the night of his win. Yeah. And then the next morning being like, fuck, it's next year. Let's go. Yeah. Let's get back in the gym. Did you ever take time to appreciate the uh, success, the winning? I, yeah. I mean, I think it, it's I, easy to reflect and look back and be like, that was such a cool experience. Yeah. But like, when you're in the heat of the moment, not that I ever won like clo- anything to the level of you did, but whenever I would win, I would always be thinking about the next thing i would never i would never maybe i can think of tw- of, i can but- think of twice uh maybe three times both times in university after we won where it's like i took time for myself mm-hmm. uh, then um my last year at langara where i definitely like won and was like i'm not touching a ball for a week i'm gonna party have a good time I still had to make a bunch of big decisions. Mm-hmm. My phone was ringing off the hook and I'm just like, I don't want to deal with any of these people. I just want to have a good time mm-hmm. and not think about it and go for a beer on a Thursday night just because, because I didn't do that when I played. Like mm-hmm. I'd go out on a Saturday night after saying so college, we'd play Friday, Saturday, but like, yeah, it was, it was just nice to act normal. Totally. You know? So what's that next season like though? Like what's, I've never won a big championship in yeah. basketball, so I have no clue. But I would assume there's a little bit of arrogance coming off of a championship season. And so like, what is that next like 
let's say the first month of practice back, I'm sure there's some extra swagger that wasn't there the year before. Like, how do you, especially as a leader on a team, how mm-hmm. do you um, kind of like motivate guys to? I, I'm gonna. I don't think I had that very much. I think my high school coach kind of broke that early, where it's like we won when I was in grade eleven. The more like we were getting after it right away, mm-hmm. and then that summer we got after it, and then like he was our grade twelve year. He was on top of us the whole time, and he's like, "You think you're good here? Play these guys here." In like challenging us to be better and better. So, I think when I got to college, I kind of just took that and kept kind of going with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time in my life that I've felt that is um, I still remember it to this day. Is my fifth year, um, I where I lived at Saint Avex, the gym. And then there was a parking lot. And then I lived in a quad. And the assistant coach walked me home. He's like, hey, like, we got to talk. I'm like, what's up? And he's like, a couple of the guys are saying that you're being pretty hard on them. I was like, uh, no harder than I was last year. <laughs> he's like, yeah, but you know, I was like, um, you ever win anything? Do you realize that games are going to be way more hard, difficult this year? I'm like, I'm telling you, they're going to be. Because you... Every time you go and play someone, you're their championship. Totally. Everybody wants to be the pre- per- the team to knock you off. And <laughs> I still remember he walked me over to my room. We chatted for a few minutes and he's and he ended up, he's like, fair enough. And he walked and told those guys stop whining. And he's like, Randy's gonna be the same way that he was last year, that he's gonna be this year. And that's but I, that's the only time where like I remember guys like oh man, we won last year. Like, just chill. Like, you don't have to act like that anymore. Like, we're good. And I'm like, no. Like, it's going to get harder. (laughs) It doesn't get easier after you win. Like, it gets way more difficult because everybody's game is their best. No one, like, it's funny too because when you are good or when your team is good, you have certain things where when you go and play certain teams, Everybody wants to beat the champ or beat that. So it's really important to get up on them really early because mm-hmm. then they'll just be like, oh, yeah, they're way better than us and they'll quit. <laughs> and if you give them a taste, they're just like, oh, they're not very good. We can do this. And they're just, and because no one wants to be embarrassed. And like, there's all these different levels that come into it after you've won. And, I, it was a lot of fun my my last year at Langara and my last year at X because it was very similar where like the team was still really good mm-hmm. and you could feel that when we go into the gyms. Like I remember when I was at St. of X, every gym we went to, they sold out because people that lived in the town didn't drive to nationals because it was too far. But they're like, oh, we could go watch the champs play against our local boys and see how it goes. <laughs> and like every gym we'd go to sell out and it was it was a fun one and uh the games were always that much more intense because you could see the guys at the other end being looking around being like oh there's normally not this many people here in this gym you know and it's uh yeah and in both scenarios one of my last year at x we were 20 and 0 in league and no one had ever done that before so that was a really cool one where it's like every game was a sellout or pretty close to it and everybody brought their best game but like Guys realized, and we kind of stepped up every game. 
And with some of the teams, we were able to just be like, let's not even mess around with these guys today. And we just come out and wallop them early, then you know, chill on the bench. You know, so yeah, anyways. It's a different experience than we had, Carl. <laughs> Much different. Yeah. How's that kind of trend? So I played basketball against you, mm-hmm. I played with you on teams. Mm-hmm. I know that you demand a lot out of who you're mm-hmm. playing with mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're not so nice to the people you play against how's that going to translate to business first of all like the competitiveness obviously you go from uh winning a bunch of championships to yep. playing pro in europe winning a couple championships and then coming back to coaching so you yep. still have that like competitive atmosphere where yep. you can demand a lot from who you're playing or who's playing on the team yep. you got to fly in there I got it up. Okay, good. How does that shift? What was it? What was that first year like going from sports in your entire life to now running a business? Uh, was really really challenging. Uh, I went from working with really young motivated men who wanted to be pushed, and to yeah. working with unmotivated females. Because a lot of the people I was working with for females, probably males too. I bartended for a while. No, I just some unmotivated motivated males. In there. But I'm just saying, my first year, yeah. there wasn't very many. Okay, um, like there was one in the kitchen, and then I was the only other male. Okay, and then I, because um, for my first six months when I got into the bar industry, I was an assistant manager working under your brother, yeah. Ben. So. Um, I guess he would have been the only other one, but he was like, our past didn't cross very much. Um, so was different once I was the GM because none of my competitive juices went where all I'm seeing numbers from last year and I'm like, I just want to hammer these numbers. <laughs> and where my job became difficult is like my first year of being a GM in every location I've ever taken, we always hammered the next year numbers. Then it's like, okay, well, year two, it's like now you figured it out a little bit more. So you're beating your own numbers. Year three, though, it's like now you're beating your numbers of your best two performances. It's like, oh, it gets a little trickier and it 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 starts to lose a little bit of that where it's like, oh, it's a Friday, it's this, you're gonna do this number. But my first, I still remember it as a GM. I, like I was super competitive about beating that number. Yeah. So I would say that would be like how the competitiveness gets brought into it. That's kind of a big, like a broad scale type thing. You're looking at like Friday numbers or weekly numbers or yearly numbers, but how does that translate down into like conversations with staff and stuff like that? I always looked at it where um, my approach was always very much like sport, where that team environment, that team, like I always, like still to this day, I will tell people, I was like, people don't come into one of my pubs and say, oh, I, I had a terrible service at Jimmy Max from this person. They say, I had terrible service at Jimmy Max. Same thing when a team beats UBC, they don't say, oh, I beat Denny. They say, oh, I beat UBC. Mm-hmm. So really looking at it that, that kind of that same way. Um, and that's, I think, one of the things that I've been able to bring to locations that I've been at is that team atmosphere and getting people to like 
it's important that you help people when they're failing because we all need to help each other. And that's part of being on a team, right? Where it's like, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be on lots of championship teams, but like I'm smart enough to realize it's not because of me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a part of that, but like I had really good teammates on all these teams and it was like bringing out the best in people and um, then bringing out the best in you and then finding ways to, to push people kind of out of their comfort zone a little bit. How do you do that in the service in industry though? Because a lot of people that work in service industry are, let's say, younger, going through college or just after college, and they're there to make a couple hundred bucks in tips and yeah. leave. Like it's it's a I think selfish. What, I think of, once you get people to realize that the short-sighted thinking is not the best approach, where it's like, yeah, okay, you might make more money this shift, but if if I don't come and help Denny in his section. Mm-hmm. those people just don't come back because they mm-hmm. say that they had a bad experience at Jimmy Max. Mm-hmm. They don't say, I, I just had bad experience from Denny. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think once you get people to understand where it's like, it's the betterment of the team that you make everybody's experience, not just people in your section that you make money off of. And once people realize that, that's when you really start to, to see the, the a location change. Because, hey, you want that person to come back. And then, you know what? Next time, go and meet them at the door. Bring them to your section and okay. blow them away with service. Mm. Um, I'd say that that would be the big one I use. Are you yeah. enjoying the industry? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I really like my job now because I feel like uh, I'm like constantly putting out fires and every day is so different. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it'd be more challenging... If I was a GM in one location and only in one location where there's times that, you know, a GM will go away and I'll be at a location for a certain amount of time. But every day for me is different. Like I'm in the car. Like today I've been at every single, like I've been at nine different locations today. Like I did different things at all of them. I was doing caulking at one. I was painting at another. I was moving furniture. I was setting up patios. Like there's not a thing that I haven't done or won't do so that i think that's what i really like about it is every day is just different mm-hmm. you know so because it seemed like you really enjoyed coaching love it love it the only thing about it that i don't love is um i love getting to spend time with my kids yeah. and coach my kids and that was one that was a bit of a non-negotiable for me when I was like, I want to go to Jordan's games. I want to go to Mason's soccer games. I want to see Harper play. Harper's running, by the way, right now. The cutest thing ever. Harper is going to be a beast. Oh, man. She <laughs> she is feisty. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's like no one's business. But anyways, I just, I, I've never understood it, people. And I think this is a big, my dad had a big influence on this one. Or it never made sense to me. People that had kids then don't want to be around them. Mm-hmm. Like, just don't have kids. Like, be the cool uncle. Be like, swing in, grab them, do a fun thing, then be like, hey, I'll give them back. And so, I, like, my dad has always been in business. And uh, I still remember, like, him, when I was 10, 11, 12, he owned a motorcycle store. 
he would be close, like his store would be open he on Saturday. A motorcycle store? Yeah. For some reason, I thought he ran like flooring companies. So uh, my dad is a later? floor layer by trade, okay. Okay. had his own floor layer company, turned that into like an appliance company. And then midlife crisis starts no, riding Harley's. <laughs> no, not Harley's. He was, uh, it was called, uh, what was it? AT cycle. Okay. So remember those three wheelers, motorcycles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was the last one of those in BC. Crazy. And then in, uh, he was a Polaris dealer. So my whole family had Polaris motorcycles. And then he met, uh, he had a business partner in that, that got, he got into Marine windows. My dad's a natural salesman. He's a very chatty guy. So um, that's what his last 20, 25 years was, is doing that. But when he owned AT Cycle, I remember him like closing the store to take me to a soccer game to go line a field because none of the other parents could figure it out. <laughs> but like, here's my dad's not making money while all these other parents are have, at home having their coffee. Mm. And he's lining the field. He'd, you know, we'd have the soccer game, then he would. Either go drop me off and go and work until five or six and come home, you know. But like, I remember him sacrificing and doing those things. So I think that's where, for me, the basketball thing kind of threw me off a bit. Where it's like, we got our schedule in July, and it's like, oh, sweet, I'm away for a birthday. Oh, I like, especially two of my kids are born in February. So, like, the chances of me being away are pretty high. Like Harper's born in September. So like, yeah, it was that I didn't like that part of it. Mm. Like probably to coach a local team would have been fine. But even that, like, I don't know. It just, I didn't, I didn't like the scheduling part of it. Like I'm sure it would be much better if you're a head coach. Because obviously you get to pick your practice times and those types of things, and I got to experience that a little bit at UBC when uh, when I first started. We had practices like four four to six, six to eight type deal, and then Kev had uh, his daughter Jessica, who he was coaching, and that's where we started looking at daytime practices. Mm-hmm. Then we realized how awesome those were. We're like, well, we're sticking with those. But I still remember the first year that we went to the coaches' meeting and everybody's fighting over the four o'clock to six because they thought it was best, and we we're like. We'll take a 12 till 2. And everybody's like, you can do that? And then ever since UBC, all the coaches are always fighting over those times now. So, but uh, it's not ideal for kids taking classes. No, I remember being there. And I think our practices the first semester I was there were 9 to 12, I think. So you couldn't take any more classes. (laughs) And what motivation does an 18 year old have going to a class after four hours of basketball? I found out very little. <laughs> All my classes were like one to three, whatever. I must have been in class 25% of the time that year. Yeah. Still did okay. I passed everything. Oh, there you go. Yeah. See, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, that I mean, that was one of the big reasons when I looked at it is the other big one was, is um, I was, we'd have to move. Like there wasn't very many opportunities for university jobs in BC. And I'd say one of the biggest ones was I started to learn more about the industry and just, there's just not very many good jobs out there. Like I think Kevin has a very good job at UBC. Like his pay is good. He has lots of support. He doesn't have to fundraise a ton. Like he fundraises a lot, but it's not a like, oh, if you don't fundraise, you don't. Like I remember uh, SFU were, if they didn't fundraise, that was their exhibition budget. I'm just like, 
Like, never mind, we're not talking scholarships or added extra stuff. It was like, no, if you don't get to go on any trips. I was like, this, excuse me. I'm like, this is terrible. Yeah. And I, my last year at UBC, I think I was making more than the SFU head coach. I remember that. I'm just like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So from a financial standpoint, there like there wasn't very many good jobs that way. Did you ever look at going to the States? No, you know what? I've never really looked into it. Like I remember I got recruited a little bit out of high school, a little bit. And then I got recruited after my first year at Langara. Um, got recruited a little bit. And then it was never a big deal to me because I think I'm a little bit more of a realist. Like I played a lot down in the States growing up like everybody. And it was like, I know I can play down there. And it's just a matter of finding the right situation. But yeah. I'm also a realist that I know that I'm not going to Duke and playing. So it makes sense to me if you're going to go to Duke. But like, no offense, North Dakota to me is not like, ooh, uh, that, that doesn't, it didn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it maybe would have changed if I would have gone and got to feel what that was like. Mm. But it just, it was never really that important to me. Even more from like the coaching side of things though. Yeah, you know what? I just, I always felt like it'd be much more difficult to come from the Canadian and go that way. Just the different rules and yeah. It would just, it was nothing I never, I never really looked at it and nothing I never, I never looked back at it after either, you know? So, Mm. yeah. It's funny when you... I still remember losing a game in grade nine. I had the last second shot and I missed it. It's still like that drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. When I was in grade 10, uh, there was a senior boys tournament. So our, and some team pulled out last second. So they phoned my uh, high school coach and like, hey, do you guys want to play? Like, so we played, we made it to the semifinal and I missed two layups in like the, the, like, one of them was one of those like super long passes. And one of them, I think the ball had actually gone out of bounds. But because I was so much farther in front of the ref, he didn't see it. <laughs> and so I like took it and I was coming back at the hoop, like an angle that yeah, you yeah. just, I'd never worked on. So I was going to like, I, I didn't know to like come and then try to come back at the hoop. Yeah. So I like tried to go to the front and my momentum was going this way. So like I missed two layups and we ended up losing the game by like one. And we would have played our senior boys in the final. And I'm so pissed that I like, I cost us that game. Oh, that's funny, man. Sports is so weird how random things stick out in your mind. Like Carl, I'm sure you're the same, but I can think of random shots in mean nothing games Mm -hmm. that I can specifically remember exactly how it happened. And then I missed. Yeah. So strange. Yeah, that one in grade 10 really bothers me <laughs> still to this day. Like my high school buddy, one of them was so mad because he wanted to play our senior boys in the final. Mm-hmm. And he brings it up all the time, all the time. Even, even in grade 12 mm-hmm. in provincials, first round, we were down by, I think, two. Yeah, I don't know why. Like this is a shot I shoot. What is the most common shot that I shoot? You know, I go to my right. I step back. Right. Yeah. That's all that that was 87% of what I did in basketball. <laughs> That's all I had <laughs> in grade 12 provincials with like 
15 seconds left or something like that. We're down by two. And I come off a ball screen. We Carl sets the ball screen and I come off a ball screen and the guy kind of hedges, but I could easily step back and shot a three, which was like the shot I'd practice all the time. Instead, I just pick up the dribble and pass it back to Carl. And I think about that all the time. Like, just step back and shoot. Because mm. I passed to Carl in a situation where he like has nothing to do. Like he's at the top of the, he's at the top of the three point line. Someone is face guarding him, so he has, <laughs> so he catches the ball like this. Like what is he going to do like this with three seconds left? It makes no sense. Do you think that time at U seventeen kind of fuck with your head for that shot? Mm, never thought about that. I don't think so. No. Mm-mm. No residual. That just pissed me off. <clears throat> it didn't make me scared. It just pissed me off. It's hmm. a great. Uh, that's a great comment though, Carl. <laughs> That's why Carl gets paid the big bucks. Dr. Carl Sabule. (laughs) You want to lie down here, Danny? (laughs) Oh, man. Do you remember shots like that? Uh, Was there anything super specific for me that U17 step back three in the left corner? Because I went into the huddle. I fucked up my ankle pretty bad that game with like six minutes left and went into the locker room. And I remember it's so strangely like the physio is like, you can't play. Your ankle is really badly sprained. I'm like, just tape the goddamn ankle. So she tapes it and I like hobble back to the bench. And Dell's like, are you okay? I'm like, just sum me in, hurry up. So I get back in with like a minute and a half left. I think we have like, do you remember this? You were uh, probably there. Yeah, I was there. I just don't remember. There was maybe like six or seven seconds left. We call a timeout. We're down by two. And obviously watching Michael Jordan as a kid, I'm like, Dell, just get Give me the ball. Give me a ball screen. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a jumper. We're gonna win the game. <laughs> and so I like come off a I remember coming off of like a top screen off yeah. of the inbounds and get the ball on the left wing. Mm-hmm. One dribble step back to the three. Straight on line. In, in the air, I thought it was in. Yeah. And I just front rim short from the baseline. Because of the ankle. Maybe. Short because of the ankle. Maybe. Mm. I thought it hit though. It left my hand and I thought it was going in. It's one of those. Mm. I have one of those. What uh, a drastic difference in my career that one fucking shot made, eh? Probably. Because I played, maybe not, who knows? But just looking back, like I remember yeah. that I, how many times have I visualized that shot in my life? I don't know. Thousands would, and thousands. I would say that, like, as an athlete, it's one of those ones where, I mean, it, it's probably what makes you good is that you remember those. It drives you nuts. But at the end of the day, like it's not like if you hit that no. shot, all of a sudden Duke's like, oh my God, did you no, see no, this no, shot yeah. that this guy hit? <clears throat> like, like, so at the end of the day, like the end result <clears throat> is still the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have one or two of those in my, my, I played, uh, f- uh, Fishu games. It's, a uh, Second largest sporting event in the world. So it goes Summer Olympics, Fishu Games, then Winter Olympics. And um, so we played, it was in China. And in the quarterfinals, we played China. At the time. Was Yao there? Yes. Yeah. So I played against, it was the biggest team to this day I've ever played against. They went 7-7, 7-1, 7-foot, 6-9, 6-6. Our tallest guy was Richie Anderson at 6'7". Yeah. 
I remember playing him against him in men's league. And so we played them in the quarterfinals, and I had a three in the left corner, down three. Like, it, ball moves around. I catch it, no hesitation. Missed. And that was the game. Like, would have been like such a big upset because they'd stacked their team. You're supposed to be in university, and here's like all of a sudden, all these guys that are playing it are going to Shanghai University. It's like, come on. One of them was had spent and played for Denver. Remember the one guy that played for Dallas, left-handed guy. I forget his name. Wasn't it Yi Yi Zhen Lian or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was one of the first Chinese guys, and he was at Dallas. Then there was a this guy that had a big funky head, like power forward for Denver, and then they had Yao Ming, who was going to be the number one draft pick. <laughs> like here, he's standing there hanging onto the hoop. <laughs> like, yeah. Do you uh, remember? Remember, like, the one or two biggest shots you've ever hit in your career? Because mm, yeah. I ask myself that sometimes, and it's very difficult to think of. And I, I, I think about them for a little bit, and I can come up with something. But the, the shots that I missed are so clear in my head. It's, mm. it's crazy. I got a couple. Um, uh, my first year at St. of X, we uh, were down six with a minute and a half to go. Something like that. We came back to win. And I had a shot with 10 or 12 seconds left. That was a big one. But probably the biggest one was my senior year. We played the semifinal game. We're back and forth with Mac. And um, they they got fouled with six seconds left or seven seconds left. Guys at the free throw line were up one. So we'd called a timeout. And coach was like, okay, call the timeout. And I was like, no, no, no. If he hits it. And don't call a timeout and let them set up their defense. Just get it to me. Let's space. I'll penetrate and we'll see what happens. Like, I'm not saying I'm going to shoot it. So make sure you're cutting, moving. And then it just worked out where, like, I ended up going and I actually shoot the ball behind the backboard. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> that was a big one because it was like a game winner. And then uh, there's a few that, like, at my Linker thing where we're down and we come back and win. So that there were some big shots involved. A lot of those are just like you can. It's funny when you're in those those bigger games, you can feel how like certain people just don't want to shoot, and mm. you'll see it where teams are up, and now they're like they change the way that they play. They don't want to shoot, so it's actually the reason that teams come back and beat them. Yeah. Like I look at so many of the championships that I was fortunate enough to be a part of, and it's like we shouldn't have won that one. We shouldn't have won that one. Like the team actually helps us out and turn the ball over like just like silly things right but yeah there's a few that i remember and that's for sure carl do you remember yours not so much one or two no i remember people hitting shots on us that's what stays with me more Mm. like that north delta game (laughs) never forget that i don't remember them hitting a big shot no way i just remember me making a stupid mistake at the end of the game Do you think that helps you in the long term, or do you think if you don't make that mistake, it doesn't push you to become better? It's difficult to go back in time and change things. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. I know that I think about those things a lot, mm-hmm. and that I don't want to have those feelings again. Uh, so I think it makes me better, but at the same time, if I step back there and drain yeah. that three and we go into the quarterfinal or whatever it is. Are you more complacent? I have no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I, I I would say that it does help you as those 
those defining moments. And I think that's one of the interesting ones when you watch the last dances. Yeah, okay, Michael Jordan's super competitive and stuff, but it was all those early years of losing and and that that feeling that he remembers mm-hmm. is why he is so hard on teammates. You're not hearing guys in his first couple of years say that like, oh, he's a jerk or he's doing this. He's the guy that's not drinking and doing blow with them in the in the room. <laughs> you know, yeah. like he's he seems like a pretty straight laced guy. It was like you probably you know he gets built up and like all you have this big rep and then all of a sudden you're in the playoffs and all of a sudden you lose and everybody's hating on you. That feeling, you know, I think that's where lots of times, like you said, is people end up remembering the losses more and the missed shot, and it's how you react to that. Totally, that that really define you. Not not the the winning of, of a game. I, I mean, th- those are nice, but if it wasn't for what you learned in in defeat, I don't think that that's why sport is so popular. Because there's very few people that actually get to win at a high level. You know, there's yeah. more people that have that like, oh, we tried so hard, and it's like, oh, maybe you did, or maybe you didn't try hard enough, or like. You know, it's funny, even like when you're watching like the Bulls thing, like there's so many of those games that like the last one against Utah, the, they shouldn't beat Utah. Jordan hits big shot. Carl Malone turns it over. It's like, hmm, what happens if Carl Malone just didn't turn it over? You know, you're up one and... I'd say more of that was a Jordan steal than a Carl Malone turnover. Well, I mean... That play, that was a pretty good defensive It play. was a good defensive <laughs> play, but like not one that like, you caught the ball in the post and you didn't think people are going to double team you. Yeah. You didn't have a clue where the where he was cuz I mean don't get me wrong it's a great steal. But you look at those and it's like okay well if he doesn't turn it over what happens then? Mm-hmm. You're up one and you you didn't even have to score. Like there's 30 seconds left or whatever like just so many different scenarios in those that I think you have to have those defeats and then it kind of plays out. And that's where, like, when you when you're fortunate enough to be on those teams that win, you realize how difficult it is to do it. Totally. And well, that's I, where I lots know, of times I you'll don't know see what winning is. So I'll I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing, growing up, Randy, I don't know if I've I, I've told Carl this before. It was uh, obviously growing up watching Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. knowing that he got cut from his grade or his uh, senior team in grade ten. I got cut from the U17 team, provincial team. Provincial team was a huge thing when we were kids. It's not that big a deal. But you, anymore. as a 16 year old, right? As a 16 year old. <laughs> and I would like remember Michael Jordan getting cut. And so I told myself as soon as I got cut, I was like, this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. And a little bit more of a backstory in that tryout, apparently it was me and one other guy that were like competing for, do you remember this? Competing for like, the last couple spots, so they put. It's us funny. Against each I'm other. on. I would be on that selection committee. Yeah. So fuck you. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so you, maybe it was you. I, I, okay. Who was the co- the coach that year? Was it Clark, Scott Clark? Uh, I can't remember. Because both years that you played was Dell, was it? Yeah. Dell so was this 16. is my 16 year. He didn't coach 17. Yeah. Uh, our 16 provincial team coach was a guy from Malaspina. Yeah, he was from the island. 
And our assistant coach was Mike Morgan. Beauty. Yeah. <laughs> Such a beauty. I played against him. Yes. So uh, that so the first line that I remember very, very vividly from my like basketball career was the one that you wrote on that piece of paper mm-hmm. that said the only reason this gets good. And then the second one was one that Mike gave me in U17 tryout. So backtrack U16, I get cut from U17. Yeah. I play against the guy who is uh gets onto the team against me or ahead of me in the tryout. They put us together at the last day against each other. Classic. And I think I go I'm pretty sure this is correct, but I think I go 11 points on him in and he scores two and I He was a pretty good shooter. He who, scored who like it? his Do name was Connor. Connor Agnew? Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I, I definitely was part of that. Dominated him. Yeah. Cuz every time I got the ball on offense, I was like I need to score from make, uh Prince Rupert or Prince George. That's Prince Rupert. Yeah. 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 Really good shooter, right? Yeah, and it was like a four-minute game, and I scored eleven points. Uh, scored I can tell you who it was. It was that White Rock Christian, and it's Scott Scott uh, Allen. Allen. That's right. Mitch is the assistant. Fuck, eh? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't take me. Uh, so it's and I Scott it- Allen, me, Mitch, um, Goulet. Uh, who else? I wonder why. So, like in the meeting afterwards, they said you didn't make the team. We think you're going to develop better on the U16 you know, team, getting to play more, blah, playing blah, blah, 40 yeah. minutes a game as U16. Bet Rob game. made it as an underager. Yeah, Rob was the only one. Yeah, yeah. and because Mitch is at STM at this point. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know. It's funny. I still remember being at that. It's like. I remember more that Scott Allen wanted us to come back to his place and drink beers and go in his hot tub. But <laughs> uh, I, I I definitely was on that selection committee. Uh, Connor Agnew. Yeah. I remember it came down to the you, him. I think who else was in that mix? Maybe was Nate around? Nate, you? I think Nate was at the tryouts, but I, d- I don't think like, he made it. But Nate was in got that. better later. Right? Yeah, when he was like nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, he got a lot better. Yeah, he was good in high school. Yeah, yeah. Like when you guys were on the under seventeen, it was kind of you, him, as the guards. Yeah, he didn't right? start. No, he, he didn't, didn't start. start. Dylan, it was Dylan, me, uh, McCarthy, Pat McCarthy, Graham Bath, and and Rob. Rob. Yeah, it's a nineties lineup right there, eh? Big and brute. <laughs> Graham Bath at the three? Wow. No, Graham's at the uh, four. Four, the McCarthy. Four. McCarthy, yeah. McCarthy at the three. McCarthy was solid. He was really good. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so get cut from U17. Mike Morgan is one of our assistant coaches for U16. Whatever, we have a yeah. decent summer. Come back for U17 training camp. <laughs> he pulls me aside in, in U17 training camp. He's like, Danny, I don't know what the fuck happened to you the last year, but you became a prick and I fucking love it. <laughs> so that, that and the comment that Randy made were the two things that really stick out of my basketball oh, My Morgan would, would appreciate that. <laughs> so you know what's a funny one is uh, I was on that selection committee for sure. I'm now like, and then uh, Kelly uh, Olinick. Olinick. I was part of the selection committee that we didn't pick him for the U17 team. Was he two years younger than us? Two years younger. Okay, two years so he young. wasn't a part of our no, U17. No. no. 
He was the next one. Is the next one, but he didn't make it as an underager either. We put him on the U16 team in the same environment. I remember, because he was at CP, I remember playing against him and thinking he wasn't that good. He was so awkward. And he was only 6'4 back then. And he's a little taller than that, but like a lot of people don't realize, like me and Kev had been recruiting him since grade eight. Hmm. And if he doesn't have his last growth spurt, I think there's a legitimate shot we had him. And I don't know, like, the, I, there's a big difference when you're seven feet tall and six foot seven. Totally. Oh, huge. Man. Never mind six, nine. But like, <laughs> it's like, it's one of the funniest ones when, if you ever watch a Michael Jordan video, they're like, oh, he improved a lot and he grew three inches. Yeah. Uh, and it's then between deal. his freshman and sophomore year, he really improved a lot and he grew three inches. Yeah. You're like, yeah, he went in at six two and came out six six. Yeah, no kidding. And Kelly's definitely one of those ones where it's like has a great skill package, is an okay athlete, but as a seven footer, he's a <laughs> much better package, right? I remember even in grade, I think we were grade twelve at CP, and he was grade ten, mm-hmm. and he was mediocre. Like he didn't compete with the grade 12 guys no he wasn't really coordinated but then like two years later he was just like a superstar obviously. yeah he was definitely going through a growing spurt in yeah. those years and one of the best things is dell and his dad had him play point guard mm-hmm. point guard and quarterback so like mm-hmm. they let him touch the ball a lot they let him make mistakes they let him shoot it a lot they let him like they kind of allowed him to be who he is now mm-hmm. you know where it's like if he would have played for a high school coach that's just like no you just shoot jump hooks it, it, he's not in the nba mm-hmm. even though he plays the five in the nba but it's because he's like does he play hey. five yeah plays a five what? he plays a spacing five mm-hmm. because a five's got to guard him and he can kind of guard a five and he comes in and they pick him pop him and if you close out, he's because he played point guard in grade eight, nine, ten. He can beat a guy in a closeout who's seven one and not used to guarding that. So, yeah, still pissed you cut me. <laughs> Fuck you. Connor Agnew was pretty good though. So I bet you were the guy too. He, Randy's in the fucking press conference after the tryout. Uh, uh, he's not that good. He only works hard. Don't worry about him. <laughs> Can't shoot. He has no left hand. That was a pretty good team. You know what? That is. uh, Did that team win gold with Scott Allen? I don't think so. I think there was a bunch of years in a row that we came second. So my my U15 came second. I think that U17 came second. My U17. Because it's that Tyler Kepke. Kepke Malish. Calvin uh, Westbrook. Yeah, uh, he's the same age as those guys. Yeah, Rob was on the team, right? Rob, Rob is an team. underager. Um, what's the Argyle guy's name? Uh, Kepke and the tall Scott Morrison. Morrison. Was no, he, he was. A, I think he was. No, a year, you're, thinking, a you're thinking. You're uh, thinking uh, Burke. Sean Burke. Sean Burke. Right. Shooter. Yeah. No, no, no. You're thinking uh, Kevin. Oh no, Shaw. Sean Burke is the Sean Burke's the other guard. point guard. Point guard. Yeah, yeah. But they both would have been on the team. Yeah. Yeah. Doug Plum. Doug Plum. He was that year. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. that year. I think he makes the team. I think he was on the team. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because I think that's when he comes back from Minnesota. Yeah. Comes back to try out. Because that, that was a team where you guys played against Isaiah Thomas in the States. I'm pretty sure. Maybe. You know, I, I, was, I wasn't on the coaching staff. I was just part of the selection committee. It's funny because my story is, is that when I was U15, me and Mitch played a regional Canada Summer Games team. Then when I was U16, that was when the first year they did the Jamboree. Oh, yeah. So my team in the Jamboree kills everybody. We get to the final and they're like, hey, everybody has to make equal playing time. And we ended up losing because the guy who was coaching our uh, Jamboree team, his kid's on the team and his kid shoots us out of the game. But you're not allowed to sub because equal playing time. It was So anyways, we ended up losing the game. And uh, <laughs> nobody from my provincial group makes the team. We had two guys or three guys make the top 20, but n- none of the three of them make the team. And I remember I was so mad because like, I was more just about like winning and like, so maybe I just wasn't a good tryout guy. And uh, I was so mad I didn't make top 20. The next year is uh, U17. I didn't even go to tryout. Yeah, it was a nice. super camp. Didn't even go out. <clears throat> then I played against Eberhardt like a week later, dropped 48 on him. Just in Richmond High's gym. He came over to me after the game. He's like, where were you last week? And I was like, man, no offense to you. They screwed me last year. They don't get me this year. I was so mad. Yeah. Well, How political is that stuff? Uh, there's a certain aspect to it, but it's, it's, it's really tough. And where I was going with this is because I was part of, uh, because I had gone through that and had that negative thing, mm. I wanted to be part of the process. And it was a lot of fun to be part of the process, actually, where it was really interesting where um, there are certain people in the room that definitely didn't pick certain types of players. So, And it would be like if Scott Clark said, because how it would work is you go around the room on the first day and you either uh, someone's in, they're out, or they're a bubble. And so you just go around the room. But it depended on the order that you went. So if Scott Clark went first and he thought a kid sucked and you had a couple high school coaches after him, besides Eberhardt, there wasn't a lot of guys that were going to be like, if Scott was like, yeah, this kid's not good enough. A lot of coaches next wouldn't be like, well, I think he's really good. <laughs> you know. What I mean? So it was funny because lots of times they would position where me and Scott would go. Or they'd be like, no, no, you guys just change seats. Or they'd ask the high school guys first sometimes. Like it was, and it was interesting to see how that would go. Just like how one coach can think a kid is great and how one coach thinks he's terrible. <laughs> you know, and Remember it's like the it, beauty high school coach that came to our tryouts? Girly? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy with the big beard? Yeah. You remember? Tupper. He's still Tupper, around. Tupper, he's still, yeah. yeah, he's still, still coaching stuff. Such a beauty. I just remember great things about that guy. Yeah, he's a, such he's, a beauty. He does so a great job at Tupper. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, he's still there. He loves it. He played at St. Mary's. Um, Did he? Yeah, he oh, played he university basketball and like he's a, I, he was one of my favorite to be around. To be honest, hmm. he was a lot of fun and like has a really good basketball mind and is really um, really can see the best in kids. I, I really appreciated that about him. Where had a really good eye to be like, hey, you know what? And he would, 
because he was a high school coach, he would know the backstory of a kid. He's like, hey, the, the fact that this kid's at this tryout, that's really impressive compared to like a Danny Duma that's here. Like this kid had to take three buses to get here. This kid, you know what I mean? And like he would bring some of that backstory sometimes or he would be like, hey, because a lot of my first couple of years, he was always coaching the B team. He's like, you give me that kid all summer and he'll be great. Like Tommy Nixon. Tommy Nixon is is a girly guy mm-hmm. where it's like, everybody's like, oh, he's not that good. And, and Dimitri probably. Yeah, Dimitri's probably another mm-hmm. guy. Like it just, he, I, I got a lot of time for that guy. He's, he's a real good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting when you're in that dynamic to just see how there is a bit of a political thing to it. And I mean, when you're at a tryout, it's just tough because everybody's looking for different things. Yeah. Sometimes it would just be easier if they just like picked a team and then gave it to a coach. And then lots of times it comes down to the like two players. It's between you and Carl. And lots of times they'll just turn to the head coach and be like, hey, it's the last guy. Like you tell us who you think you want to deal with. And they'll be like, oh, well, I'll deal with Carl. Denny's parents are crazy. Or vice versa. Or, you know what I mean? Like it just. <laughs> it's it's yeah it's a funny one or like because basketball bc doesn't tell them how they have to coach you might get a guy he's like oh i just want to play zone defense Mm. well because basketball bc isn't mandating how they have to do things that that's another one where it like throws wrinkles into it so it i can see where people think it's political and there's some truth to that where it's like yeah, if you're a kid that goes to CP, we all know who you are. I'm not looking through a list to figure out, like, hey, what's your name again? What can you turn around so I can see your number? Like, no one ever asked you that at a provincial team trial. Where there's kids that you're going against that they're like, uh, turn around. What, what's what's the number that someone wrote on your arm? Like, that's a real thing, right? And and unfortunately for that kid. He's going to have to show better than you because you were at CP and he wasn't. I mean, it's on. I would always do it the other. Like, I would just watch kids and just knock them off the list. And then I'd work it backwards always because it's way easier to walk around and be like, nope, 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 nope. Okay, who do I got left? And then start to get to the point where you're comparing or. It's probably pretty intimidating. I remember you 17 tryout. Obviously, it was very different. I'd played on provincial team two years in a row. I knew I was one of the best players in the province at that point. <laughs> and going into that tryout, it was just like, "What's up, Dylan? What's up, Rob? What's up, you know, Ellie? Know. You know, whoever was there." Yeah, it's and the first couple of rounds were just a joke. Right? Yeah, and to be honest, like if you were someone from the outside looking at it, they're going to be like, "Oh, well, they knew who it was," and it's like, "Yeah, but like the people that you just named." Is anybody saying that they shouldn't have been on the team? Like, come on. Like, in high school, that group that you just said, we're not even arguing about those kids. And lots of times it would be like, we would just eliminate you guys. Like, Rob. We never talked about Rob one time. (laughs) There'd always be a joke where we go around the room and everybody would be like, okay, Zachary. There'd always be some joker that'd be like, I don't think he's going to be that good, you know, and like joke around. But like at the end of the day, we're like, okay, like, why are we talking about Denny? Why are we talking about Rob? Why are we talking about Graham Bath? Like, just move on and let's figure out the next seven guys. <laughs> Dell? So I played for Dell for two years, 15 and 17. And both years we ran the same kind of offense. Yeah. 
<laughs> and the whole offense, he had <laughs> golden rule number one, golden rule number two, silver rule. Golden rule number one was pass the ball to Rob. Golden rule number two was pass the ball to Rob. Silver rule was everything else. It was hilarious. Yeah, if you got a Rob played in the NBA, he's seven foot one. <laughs> I was gonna say he passed a lot of eye tests. <laughs> the funny thing though is like you know, like but Rob's not a scorer. No, exactly. So it's probably one of the faults of that team is like Rob's a really, really good player, and at the high school level, he's really good. But where he was better was, I mean, even look at his senior year, where his grade 11 year, he like even though he probably, well, he is the best player, but like his team didn't go through him. It was other guys penetrating in, mm-hmm. being offensively aggressive, led to Rob scoring. Exactly. Because people have, like if you penetrate and you just fake at Rob, people are going to stay with him, so you're going to get a layup. But if you're forcing it into him, it's not like he's like he's no Elijah one down there. Exactly. There's not a lot of sweet jumpers coming out of there. But like he's obviously a big body, a big target, and but in the, you probably, I mean, I don't know who would have been the best option on your team or would have had the biggest mismatch. But I mean, you look at Rob's NBA career, and that's, that's he's never been known for a score. No, 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 at that level, too. Yeah, he wasn't that good an athlete at that level. Well, I would argue that he's not that good of an like, he's fairly quick, like up, like north south to run. Yeah, but he, he's not a big jumper, he's just tall. Yeah, and like, I've played with lots of six, seven guys that would. I've never played with one guy of six seven had a forty two inch vertical. Like he's sitting there down like I'm I've played with a six three guy that almost dunked from the free throw line. Like when you see an athlete like that, you're not looking at Rob and going, Oh yeah, he's bouncy. Like they're like, Oh, he had a dunk. It's like, yeah, okay. It's wide open. Twelve inches. <laughs> you know, like it was a sweet one foot one hander there, like or like but anyways. It's crazy looking back. Like I didn't appreciate it as much as I think I should have. Looking back, it was it was a fun couple of years. Yeah, playing for Venture Team. I know Venture Team is not that big a thing anymore. No, it's, it's different. It's very different. Yeah. It's very different, and it's but that one of those, was like the thing. That it was, was it. It was right around your time that mm-hmm. Basketball BC started to lose. Hmm. Well, Drive. I think I was part of the first season to Drive. When it was I when was we were 15. fifteen. Yeah, that yeah. was the first yeah. team. Remember that. A picture. Yeah. Were you in that three on three tournament? Or yeah, no? outside. Or oh, not the three on three tournament, but I was in the five on five. I think it was me and Jordan Mara and someone else. First drive three on three tournament. Spencer. We were playing a couple guys a year older than us. Mm-hmm. We were huge underdogs, and we made the final. And I think was it Spencer? No, because was wasn't he living with you? I remember it was me, Jordan Mara, and someone else in this three on tournament. Anyway, maybe it was Elliot. It might have been. And we just went off, mm-hmm. and we were playing against a couple older guys from Ember Creek or something like that. I can't remember. And we were not supposed to win. And we beat them in the final. And Pasha was like instantly in love with me yeah. and Jordan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that was like the first first year. Yeah. Uh, my first year at UBC. I don't even know what year that was, but it uh, was probably eight, eight years ago, nine nine years ago. Um, maybe. 
yeah, maybe nine years ago. Uh, I coached Chad and Pasha. They're both their fifth year, and they already had drive like yeah. up and going. And uh, the biggest one to the province was Emerson Murray. Emerson, Emerson Murray was the first best player in the province to choose not to play basketball BC. Mm. And it's one of those ones where it's basketball BC's fault because they just never realized the threat of right. club right. and always dismiss them and always, and I, I believe have not realized their importance to the province. And it's been really unfortunate because I don't remember the last provincial team to win a gold at the U17 level. Like it's, it might go back to Scott Allen with, uh, they might have won the year before you. Did they? The year that you didn't make it. They yeah. might have won or the year before that. Because th- th- there was a run there where they had a pretty good little team. Um, I know. Yeah. Anyways, there's, there's been, BC is having a hard time making the finals. So, I mean, the problem is we're just not sending our best kids. Well, Carl said last year, Carl, mm-hmm. you said a guy that didn't start on the STM team made yeah. the provincial team. Yeah, because I'm coaching or assistant coaching with Mitch at STM, and like you'd see guys that are on the on the provincial team, they're listed, and they don't even see the floor. I just they're and that blew my mind. I did not understand that at all. How does that work? Yeah, well, it's, it's just a very different yeah. world, right? Where there's kids that play for Drive or Athlete or PC Bounce or all these clubs, and they just, that's it's not a priority for them. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate because if you're a young athlete, one of the coolest things to do is represent your like province with that like BC and be part of any type of ceremony. It's the like, it's a nice, like even going to the U17s is is always like it's a cool mm-hmm. thing to go through, right? Where it's like uh, one year you're in Halifax, you're Halifax a U15 is year, U15. But like being part of the staying in the dorm rooms and like mm-hmm. that's a step to the national team and like being in those uh, like environments. Like I've been mm-hmm. fortunate enough to play a Fishu games, Goodwill games, uh, Pan Am games. And you're in those like environments where you're going to eat and breakfast. There's another team and all their gear and like, like the Fishu one that I was at. Like, you got all these different athletes in different countries, and it's really, really a cool experience. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I'm sad that people are missing out on. Is is like, never mind not having an ch- opportunity to win for your province, which is much cooler than winning some tournament down in Vegas that whatever like that's a cool experience mm. and every tournament that i've ever been part of is like is the same where it's like you win a t-shirt and someone's <laughs> going to tell you that oh you got exposure or whatever at the end of the day where if you're really really good people will find you totally and if you go to nationals and you beat ontario people are definitely looking at you it's like if you think that people aren't going to that you're crazy. Um, or at least asking people like, oh, who's the kid that dropped 30 against Ontario? You know, like I remember like coming out of grade 12 and talking to a couple of Canadian schools in uh in the east. And uh one of the coaches 
I didn't send them any videotape. They just called me. Yep. And they said, oh, yeah, we've been watching you, whatever. You played really good against Ontario one game, and you struggled the next. Oh, yeah, that fucking sums me up pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, they were looking at the Nationals, right? Oh, yeah. But they're probably not as much anymore because the best guys aren't playing in it. Yeah, it's funny at the university sport, lots of times people, I mean... With social media and all those things nowadays, it's a lot of times people aren't even going to those because yeah. like the, there'll be somebody there that'll tell them how it's going, or the only reason you'd be going is if you're recruiting somebody just to show face. Like I remember me and Kev going mm-hmm. to Sherbrooke <laughs> in Quebec because we were recruiting. Maybe it was Malish, and there was a group of those guys like Tyler Kepke and those guys that we were recruiting so it was maybe to show face to those guys but yeah i mean at the end of the day if you're good people are gonna find you um i just i'm sad that when people don't get to experience that because Mm -hmm. being like think of your under 17 not any of the games you fly as your team which is very similar to club but where then it becomes very different is, is like if you're on a club team and you're down in Vegas or wherever you are, like you, you have a little interaction with people in hotels and then lots of times. But if you're in like in a, a thing where you got to have like your name and this is you need this to get into breakfast, like that's a very different feeling totally. than like your team eating breakfast down with other teams for breakfast. U17, we didn't get that because it was at SFU, it was here. But U15 was like that. Yeah. It was at... Uh, Dalhousie. Dalhousie, right? So yeah. In Halifax. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you like fly there with the women's team too and back. Yeah. So it's just like, it's a totally different experience. Yeah. And you sure. you think you're all cool wearing your yes. your track suit totally. and like, <laughs> like that's, that's a cool one to be a part of. And like, I guess kids nowadays think that's cool to like wear their, you know, whatever, you know, 3D or athlete or mm. drive gear to school or but but it's really unfortunate that they're missing out on that yeah but i to be honest i don't blame the clubs i mean i i really think that basketball bc really messed up I remember having this argument when i play or when i coached uh because i coached under 15 team one year and uh did you yeah I yeah coached uh we got a bronze me and jordan you were the he was my assistant mm. um JY's awesome coach. Um, he's up in Prince George right now. His team just got uh, second at uh, double A provincials or double or triple, triple now, I think, because they have quad, right? I think they're triple A. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. And, but I remember arguing with uh, the guy that at Basketball BC, I was like, if you just gave me the best kids, I only need two weeks. But if you give me the, this group of guys and I'm missing the top three guys like, okay, we'll be better by the end of the summer. We'll have better stuff. But at the end of the day, like it's good <laughs> players that win basketball games. Like yeah. you're going to do a lot better. So like, what is the result? Or is it about developing these kids? Okay. Then take whoever comes to trials. But if it's about the end result of doing better at nationals, 
then we got to find a better way because we need we need Emerson to play. We need this guy to play. We need this guy to play. Like you got to have Pasha as one of the coaches. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm telling you that the way that we're doing it now, where you think you're trying to compete against them, like it's it's a losing battle, right? Like there's kids that have been playing for these club teams. Like well, my son's playing for a club team. It's since he was one or grade one. So. I mean, you think fast forward when he's in grade eleven or twelve, and someone's going to be like, "Oh, you should play basketball BC instead of playing for athlete." I'm like, who's he going to pick? One is but all his buddies that he's played. Yeah, with and like, like ten pe- years over there. Yeah, and just like that feeling of letting them down. Where if there's some way that you could do both, and I think that's what uh, Ontario does. Is like they really. I mean, the club system is so much better organized and done there. And then they'll like, hey, is it okay if everybody just doesn't do something this weekend? This is when we're going to do this tryout or this training thing. And then they all just don't do anything that weekend. They get the 12 kids, then they get to nationals. And yeah, okay, they're not as smooth, and ma- but they got better kids there. Yeah, You know? I mean, Ontario is different because they have so many more. Like lots of times they're missing their top kids too. We're playing down deep down in the States at like real club programs. Um, but I mean, they're, they're still working with the club, the local clubs where I don't see that as, I don't see that happening here, which is really unfortunate because mm. yeah, we'd really have to come at it a different, different way, I think. So, yeah. It was a fun experience for us. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's probably probably the you, best you were, basketball experiences I've had. You were really lucky though because you had really like passionate coaches, mm. very knowledgeable coaches. Like Dell's a good coach. Morgan's a really good coach. They were like really like got you guys to work hard. You had and a good group. Upset. Like they just loved it. Yeah. The, ex- the whole experience for them was equally as exciting as yeah. it was for us, right? Yeah. And Dell's one of those guys. I mean, he's a He's done really well as a high school coach, but like mm. he just he loves it so much, right? Loves it. Yeah. And everyone played. Right? Like me, Rob, <clears throat> everyone. Graham played. Elliot was the one guy in grade seven, uh grade twelve that didn't play. Where did he go? He just, he just disappeared. Yeah. But like all the top guys in the province played, other than mm-hmm. he probably would have started. He was a good player, but yeah, that was the one guy. Mm-hmm. He played you fifteen and sixteen, I think. Mm-hmm. Is Elliot the one that became the professional poker player? Is that the guy that I'm thinking of? No, that's no, that's Kyle Watson's buddy, Kyle Wilson. No, 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 no. There's another guy. Wasn't he around your age, Kyle Wilson? Uh, me and Kyle, Kyle Wilson are past crossed a little bit. Um, He's the. I thought he was the poker player. He was. Oh. Um, he's got an interesting story. He'd be a great guy to get on this thing. Well, let me tell you. Uh, I can tell you my quick Kyle Wilson story. But like me, uh, My one year where I've been on the national team for a few years, Kyle is coming out of high school. And he's so they did it where they had like a regional camp. So me and Kyle kind of went at each other. I, I still like my f- hardest time I've ever had to guard Kyle was when he came out of high school and he was going to... Where's he going? Uh, he Villanova, to- I think. 
Did he go to Villanova? Mm-hmm. And he was super hard to guard coming out of high school to going to Villanova because he, he just, like, he just didn't do stuff that you should do. Like, he would look to penetrate, then boom, he'd be pulling up. And then, like, he just, like, he'd shoot shots at you, like, so his game was like really herky jerky, and it, for me, I just it really threw me off. Then he went to Villanova for one year, and they kind of broke him. <laughs> then he came back, and I still remember like it was at the Grizzlies facility when he was in grade twelve. Going there, I struggled to guard him. Uh, he's faster than me, but I was stronger. So once I could touch him and put my hands on him a little bit, I was fine. But like, I couldn't. I couldn't figure him out when he was coming out of high school <laughs> once he went to Villanova and came back they'd put him on a weight program and he was <laughs> but he was now slower and like they taught him what a good and bad shot was and it was way easier to guard then and uh my funniest story about him is I still remember we're going to Ontario we'd both been selected from BC to go out to the big trials so we're going there and there was two trials there was a trial for two different teams but there was the possibility to be gone for like a month. So I show up at the airport and I got like a big bag stocked full. Picture you're going to play pickup basketball with a duffel bag like this big and it's empty. And you're walking through an airport. That's what this dude rolled up to the airport in, <laughs> dribbling a ball. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? We got to the tryout and he was just like, he just thought that they were going to give us all this gear and... Like yeah, I think I think they washed stuff, but like so he wore the same stuff all the time, and um, yeah, it was. I think it was a bit of a culture shock. He was like, "Oh my goodness," he thought it was going to be a certain way, and I knew that it wasn't going to be. But uh, yeah, he was he was he was a really good player. But going to the poker story, I fast forward. I, I don't see him for Where how Elliot was it Elliot? I don't know. I, you know what? Elliot's personality doesn't surprise me that he'd get into poker. Yeah. I know that there's a guy, Kyle Watson's age, that got into uh, poker. But my Wilson story is I run into Kyle Wilson a couple of years later after that, after he's done playing university and stuff. And uh, I run into him. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? We're going to play open gym. And he's like, oh, this can sound weird. I'm playing poker and uh, I make $100 a day. He's like, once I make $100, he's like, sometimes it takes me five minutes, sometimes it takes me hours and I have to grind a hundred dollars a day I see him a year later hey Kyle, what's going on you still doing the poker thing he's like yep thousand dollars a day okay year later hey what's going on Kyle what are you doing still the poker thing yep ten thousand dollars a day like there was a while he was making bank yeah and they had like multiple screens and I think it was him and his brother-in-law or something but he'd be an interesting guy to to chat with does he live in? He lives in BC. I ran into him at a Canucks game. He was like a bartender at a, um, a downtown bar or something like that. Huh. Yeah, Maybe. Yeah, he he's got Down a cool. Yeah, he's got a he he's have a cool story. Yeah, he was he was a really good player. He was a really good player. Yeah, just like so hard to figure out. Yeah, and like crafty and like had a weird shot, but it allowed him to get it off like so fast, so right? fast. Yeah. And I still remember it though. Like, remember the only other player I can remember that was like that good at getting off shots 
was, uh, this may be super random, but I played against him a bunch because he was friends with Vinny. Jordan Mason. Yeah. Remember him? He yeah, was like yeah, super I, I, weird at getting shots off so quickly. He had a quick release. Um, really good to like uh, crossover yeah. and like good ball handler and stuff. But wasn't a super uh, like bouncy athlete. No. Yeah. Um, but Jordan's a really, really good shooter. Mm-hmm. I the the guy for me that is the Kyle Wilson is Jordy McTavish. So Jordy's a year younger he's, than me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He's the guy that went to Utah. The biggest difference between Jordy and Kyle was Jordy was the athlete. Like Jordy was the guy that would like pass the ball up top, and then hard back cut and catch a lob on you. So uh, Jordy was the guy that beat me out national team wise early. And then um, he he makes the team that qualifies for the Olympics, I think. And then blew his knee out. Oh, really? And then I was in the gym. He blew his knee out the second time. Yeah. So, uh, but just a fantastic athlete. Like I heard that uh, once he was done playing, he um, got into competitive mountain biking. It was just killing it because the guy could like run for days and like <laughs> we played on the U19 team together. They used to have a U19 team um, back when I was playing. And he, he just a fantastic athlete and a really good player, like good form. And like he was one of the better players I remember playing against kind of growing up. Um, and uh, yeah, out of high school, he went to Utah and was on the Utah team that lost in the semifinal, made it to the final four with Andre Miller. Really? Yeah. I think Jordy is a teacher, I think, up in Salmon Arm. Moved back to Salmon Arm and, yeah. But real real good guy and our paths crossed a bunch. To be honest, I think is one of the reasons why, like, remember I mentioned I didn't make that U16 team. I think I don't make the U16 team because they had him as a 15-year-old penciled in. I don't try out for the U17 team, and he makes it as a U16 team. And then it's probably one of the reasons why I end up making the national team, maybe, is he ends up getting hurt. Mm. Yeah. Poss- I mean, possibly. <clears throat> Our games are very different. I've never been called bouncy before, so. <laughs> <laughs> Stocky white kid. Stocky white kids don't get called bouncy, Randy. <laughs> No. Can I? This is a bit of a sensitive topic, but I want to ask you mm-hmm. just more for the experience and like how maybe the sport mindset has kind of translated into the health stuff. Obviously, I've never really talked to you much about this, talked to your wife about it a mm-hmm. lot. But like, how long ago was that? Was it like three or four, four years ago? What are we talking about? My health stuff? Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, Longer well, than it, that? Yeah. So um, the first time that I had uh, dealt with cancer was Mason is just born. So Like six or seven years ago. Yeah. I want to say that Mason's like one. So and Mason's nine now. So I'm like eight years ago. Wow. Um, so because when I went through all my all my stuff, the first go around, it kind of knocked me out of commission for like, say, six months. And I remember he was at that like really cute young age where he didn't know what was going on. 
bedroom button. And he just like, he was in my room hanging out and like, he didn't know that dad couldn't get out of bed. Um, And then we have Harper. um, And then the next stint came out probably three years ago, maybe. Yeah, maybe three, four years ago where I've had to like go through it again. Where did it come from? Uh, so uh, for me, it was skin cancer. Uh, and mine was a weird one because I had skin cancer in two different places. So I had skin cancer on my leg and on the top of my head. And then, so what they did the first go around was they um, they did a biopsy and, and like took samples. And then I, I went and met with a the doctor. They told me that we had it and I had to have these surgeries. And then as the guy's standing there telling me, he's looking at me and he's looking all strange. He's like, where's that bump on your neck come from? I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, you need to go to Burnaby Hospital immediately. I'm going to phone and like, here I just found out I had cancer. I'm like crying. I'm all upset. Chrissy's all upset. We're driving to Burnaby Hospital and they did a biopsy out of my neck. And then we found out it got into the lymph nodes in my neck. And then... Yeah, it just was scary, man. It was uh, probably four months of me just knocking out of bed. So it was surgery, out of commission for a month. As soon as I could do that, then it was the next surgery, out of commission for a month, surgery again. And then, yeah, then it was, I thought it was good for however many years, you know, and um and then it yeah it came back, probably because it got into my lymph nodes, which means it's in my blood system, which means that it's probably one of those ones where it's like, to be honest, it's one of those ones I don't think about. Mm-hmm. But if if I'm a realist, I'm going well. If I'm betting on who's going to live longer, I'm not going. Oh, I got you beat. You know what I mean? Or it's in my blood system. I all I can do is just keep going and getting checks and. Hope that it doesn't go to an area that we can't do anything about. I was really fortunate on my last go around that uh, I was able to get on a new trial of a drug that had come out. And uh, when I got tested, they'd found it in a few different spots. So one of them was like two um, centimeters in my chest. And um, the drug shrunk it to the point where it's under one centimeter. So if you were to go get a CT scan and they looked at your lymph nodes, they wouldn't see anything because everything would be below one centimeter. One centimeter, it's like they don't even really pay attention to. So right now I'm kind of at that stage where I'm not cancer-free, but everything's below that thing. And I get, uh, I was getting regular uh, CT scans every three months. And then we just bumped that back to, I don't know, I think it was six. And then, so I I had a two years of doing, uh, I call it chemo, but it wasn't that. I would go to the chemo ward and mine was like a once a month one, but it was the same idea. It's hook you up to an IV. Um, and then I did that for two years and had to take a few breaks just because it made me so sick. But the good thing was I didn't have to take time off work. There was just a few, like I'd have, 
I would set up where I'd get it done and then me and Chris would just line up that I just didn't do anything that day. Like especially early on, I would get really sick and I would just I'd pretty much go home and just go to bed. Um yeah, and then two years later, I uh, I'm right now I'm on the I'll get it done in a year. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Just gotta keep going to see the oncologist. I mean the good thing is they got it while I'm young and fairly healthy, I guess, you know. So I think that was one of the ways that I looked at it early is when I when I when it came back, I remember I went and got a gym membership and I was like, I'm gonna go work out and try to be strong so that I can f- help fight it because I knew it was gonna kick the crap out of my body. And yeah. It's it's been a a, a big one because uh <laughs> it's like silly stuff where when I was going through it the first time and I had surgery on my one side of my neck, it did nerve damage to my shoulder. So I think wasn't I playing men's league with you? Anyways, I, I was remember I was playing in that league at Guilford. I couldn't shoot anymore. <laughs> like I went I physically couldn't get my arm to get the ball from the three point line. Weird. And I've never been able to get it back. Like when I shoot it now, there comes a point where like I have to think push or like weird. And it my body just like this arm doesn't move like that. So it's it's messed with my body. Um, like if I get uh, tense or I can, there's a spot that I can feel it. Obviously, my neck is tons of scar tissue, so like I've had problems sleeping and just those types of weird things from it. Um, yeah, but it's for all intensive purposes. I mean, it hasn't affected me too too much. Like I've been able to work. To be honest, my kids still to this day don't have a clue. So they can't watch this for the next little bit. I'm sure Jordan will figure it out sooner or later, but yeah. How did you first find out? Uh, Were you a, having any like no, 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 no. I had a bump on my head and I had, so I went to the doctor to look at the one on the top of my head and it kind of looked like a big mole. Mm-hmm. And then they did that one. And then when they checked my body, they're like, oh, we don't really like that mole on your leg. Let's just, we'll do a little biopsy of that one. So then they they literally take like a mole off and then when it comes down to, so for skin cancer, if they see something they don't like, they'd like, we'll just take out a mole and it'll be like a one stitch. And then they do the biopsy of it. And if it comes back, then this is what you end up with. They took a big, like actual chunk of my skin to try to, and then they test the layers away from it. Um, Yeah. So... The craziest part of this whole story is, so I get t- tested and find out I'm cancer. One of my good buddies goes, well, if Randy can get this, any one of us could have it. He goes and finds out, he, and they he gets a full like uh, check, finds out he has cancer. I'm like, what are the chances of that? You know, my buddy Jimmy, he, uh, he's an RCMP over on the island now, but he... Yeah, he had uh, thyroid cancer, but he would have never checked. And he's like, he would have never went and got a physical or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So me and him kind of have matching scars. So, and it was like, like literally because I, he was rattled when he found out I had it. He's like, I was still healthy. I was still, you know what I mean? Like, so 
because it, it was my my first year out of UBC. I want to say I stopped at UBC in March, and I found out about this in September. Mm. So like I'm still 30, 31, good shape, playing a couple times a week, like probably in like, probably in much better shape than I am now. Like you know what I mean? So yeah. How do you deal with that diagnosis? Yeah, to be honest, I don't even really think about it. To to be truthfully honest, it's one of the ones where, like, I look at it where it's like you don't wake up and go, "I hope I don't get hit by a bus today." Mm. That's kind of how I look at it. Where like I just don't like. There's no point in me dwelling on it. Nothing good is going to come from that. Uh, people don't believe me when I tell them. I'm like, I've never once looked up on the internet like anything to do with skin cancer. Mm. Never once. I don't know if Chrissy has, but I never have. Chrissy really. Yeah. <laughs> Where my buddy, I remember his wife was like, she's on there like, what kind of test did you? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I have a doctor. I go to the doctor. I trust the doctor. We're rolling the dice with her. I'm like, that's what I do. Do you remember the reaction when they told you though? Oh, I was just shocked and just started to cry. Probably the most difficult thing for me was just being around my kids. Yeah. You know, like that, it's like, oh, this is, I don't, I don't want to miss out on any of this stuff. So that was the, that was the trickiest one. I, I bring it up at work sometimes where, uh, when people are like, oh, you know, I hate this customer. I hate this. I was like, listen, it's your job to be nice. I was like, I came to work knowing that I had to go and have all these surgeries. And I'm like, not one of you knew. You know why? Because when I go around and say, hey, Danny, how's it going, buddy? Nice to see you. How are you doing? And they ask me back, it's not your time to start crying on your shoulder. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to be sad. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm good, buddy. How are you? And like, it's, your, it's our job to make people feel good and talk to people and talk to them about their problems, not you dump your problems on them. That's not the time and place. So, yeah, that's, it was, it was a crazy time, though, that like, like I want to say we found out in September and I had surgery in October, November, and December. And it was just like, Chrissy had to hold down the fort. She's doing everything. We had two kids at the time. Like Jordan's probably three and Mason's like nine months. Like, yeah, Harper's not in the picture yet. So it, uh, yeah, it was crazy times, man. Crazy times. But December 21st is the day that I found out I was cancer-free the first time. Still to this day, I remember that. I went and saw the doctor. Yeah. That was good. So now it's just a matter of just keeping getting checks and hope that it doesn't come back. Yeah. Is it weird not like, <clears throat> is it weird not having your kids know? Um, here's my thing is, having them not know wasn't going to change anything. And it's not like I had a type of cancer that I was going to die immediately. Right. Now, if my prognosis had changed and I was going to be sick, then maybe it was time for them to know. But like Jordan probably now maybe has a bit of a clue. I mean, some people, I'm sure she's heard them talk about it. Every once in a while, the kids will be like, what's that scar on your neck for? You know? And like, they just don't know. Like, my big thing was is there was no point in telling them and it just scaring them or like eventually they'll find out. And 
we'll we'll figure that out what that looks like at the time how old they are how you know i'm jordan would be fine nowadays but there was just no point in worrying them because they couldn't do anything about it anyway Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm one of your biggest fans i hope you know that (laughs) but like i don't know if i'm strange i think i am because the conversations i have with other people are not the same as this but like I legitimately think I'm going to live till 113. I don't know why that number sticks out of my head. I just assume that's I'm going to die when I'm 113. And so I kind of live that way. I kind of like invest that way. I kind of like think that I still have 82 years to live. Yeah. Does that change a little bit? Like how does that alter the day to day or does uh, it at all? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't ever like, do the backwards math. There was a, a time where I was like, we should spend a bunch of money. <laughs> like, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a, a, it's a weird one for me because like I said earlier, I, I think I'm a bit of a realist on this one where it's like, if I was betting, I wouldn't bet for me to outlive you. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you can walk outside and get hit by a bus. Totally. And like, there's so many like you get COVID, yeah. Like, right. it's just those are things that we don't have control of. So, I'm not spending any time stressing over things I don't have control of. Like, mm-hmm. I might live till I'm 100, and it maybe never comes back. Maybe the drug that I was on is like the super drug, and I never have any problems anymore. But maybe not. But like, why why spend any time stressing about it? That's kind of the way that I look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think because of athletics, you probably have that. Like that's kind of drilled into you a little bit of like, I'm going to, whether it's like, I'm going to overcome this or just yeah, like. Yeah, fight through it maybe. Or like. You know what? If I play against Michael Jordan, he's going to beat me. He, you know, he's better than me. It is what it is. <laughs> Whatever. But like, do you think about how the family kind of is affected do you have a lot of conversations with chrissy about that kind no, of stuff at all to be honest because if anything was to happen it's not going to happen in a way where it's not like i get hit by a bus and i'm just mm. not here the next day mm. in all reality if something negative does happen there's going to be a long process like like i'm never going to walk in and they're going to be like guess what it's back Guess what? You're gonna die tomorrow, like, because it's just not the way that it's gonna run play out. Mm. So I know that we would have time to like. Chrissy doesn't do any of the banking stuff. I don't know if she's paid one bill in. We've been married eleven years. I don't know if she's paid a bill in twelve years. You know, like she wouldn't tell you, and she doesn't know what bills we get or when. Like that's just how we've done it. And I know lots of people don't do it that way. That's just how we've done it. Where we've had a shared bank account before we were married. And um, I've just always taken care of that. And we've always just dumped money in there. And like, I know some people get married and have separate bank accounts and then they have one that they put money in and all that. Like we've just never done that. So yeah, I just, I know that if I was to find out negative news, that would be stuff I'd we'd go through, but she's smart. She'd figure it out. Like, 
Like I don't have any words. It's not that she can't do it. I just do it. Like there's stuff that she does that I think I'd be in more trouble if <laughs> if it was the other way. But um, yeah, I mean that's just reality of it. I think. And there's no point in me like writing it all out and being scared because it's just not going to be played out like that. I I mean I, I hope I'm I hope I don't have to ever find out. But in all reality, it's just. It's not gonna play out that way. Do you think that's a unique perspective? Uh, probably. Like I, I, I've met a few people that have gone through similar things to me, and they're a lot more depressing to talk to than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, some of them are way more knowledgeable. And maybe it's because I haven't gone and done a lot of research. I don't know. I can't tell you the statistics of someone that's had it twice and how often it's going to come back in a third time if it's come back once. And I can't tell you any of those because it's it's not something I care to know because it's not going to like, what am I going to look at and be like, oh, it comes back 50% of the time. Like, stop living my life. Like, that's just, yeah. That's, I would have no interest in, it's not going to be like in 28 days it's going to come back. It's like 55 percent of the time that comes back. Yeah. I'm like okay, well, if it comes back, we'll get tested. I'll find out, and then we'll come up with a game plan. I'm like that's just, I think, how I want to deal with it. And but it probably is a little bit unique to answer the question. I think it's extremely unique, and I love it. Yeah. Remember coming out of that first surgery. Uh yeah, well I remember all of them, like vividly. But the was it the first one that was the no first one was the, the one? my head, my leg, oh, and yeah. my stomach. Yeah, yeah. They skin graft off my stomach from my head and my leg, and so I laid in bed for a month, couldn't walk on this leg. And then it was like, all right, you can walk. We're back in the hospital. We're doing the neck, and the neck one was like crazy the craziest part about the neck one is so in between so i have this surgery and then i'm starting to be able to move i have this surgery now like as soon as i'm like good and healed i play basketball and people are looking at me like what the (laughs) hell like it because like there's still like blood and like but the doctors told me i could and like I couldn't shoot. Like, <laughs> oh man, it was. It's a funny one where, like, I mean, what, I, 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 I remember when I first went back to work, and every once in a while, I would catch people like staring at me, and I'd be like, "All oh, right, they're staring at this humongous slash across <laughs> my neck, going, what the heck has happened to this guy?' Think, like, every once in a while, people would be like, "I gotta ask, like, what happened to your neck?" You know, I'd mess with people sometimes, or I'd just be like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." And I, then I would tell them, you know, like, and like it, but it would, I would just forget, and you know, or like, because I'm, it's funny because playing basketball, I have a height complex. I just think that I'm short because I've always been the shortest guy, <laughs> yeah, but I'm actually, you know, I'm six feet tall. It's not like I'm short guy. So the one on the top of my head, because I've had a few surgeries to make that gap smaller. And when I first started working, I like I would forget. Then all of a sudden, I'd lean down and like people would be like, "What the heck happened to the top of your head?" 
in like because there's a there used to be a gap like that big on it, but like people didn't see that and it you know big neck cur- thing around my neck and I mean nowadays it's like it's the scars still you can kind of see it, um, but I ha- I definitely have way less people ask me now than when I first when it first it's happened. It's not even noticeable anymore. Yeah, like you have to look. Yeah. And like or you no. probably can see it a little bit now just because I've shaved to there. Because yeah. that's the worst part is the ingrown hairs and the things I gotta deal with now. <laughs> yeah. So it's a weird thing about basketball, eh? That like short complex. Because yeah. I had it too. When yeah. I went to North Dakota, I was I think I was like the second or third shortest guy on the team. Mm-hmm. I'm like six two. When I come back to Vancouver, I'm like one of the tallest guys in the city. <laughs> Right, so and like, especially when you get in the working environment. Like, I still remember when I first started working in pubs. Like when I was at Rusty's, I think people knew. But when I moved jobs, and now I go to Jimmy Max and I'm going to run there, like nobody knew that I played basketball. Yeah. Like zero. I still remember to this day there was a beer rep that came in and she was tall and she'd obviously played basketball, and somebody was joking around with her like that she's a good basketball player. And she says to me, she goes, uh, I'll play you for a line. And I was like, done. I was like, <laughs> but here's the deal. Uh, you go and ask your boss if we can play for a line. You can have it at my, this pub and Rusty's because those are the two that I was running at the time. So you can have a line at both pubs. You got to pay for all the beer for a year. However, I'll give you the, I'll, I'll allow you to do one thing. She kind of looks at me. I was like, you can Google me. But after you Google me, if you still want to play, I'm totally good. <laughs> she showed up the next day. She's like, oh, my God, I didn't know that you played. And I was like, most people don't, you know, because no one ever looks at me and goes, oh, he must have been a basketball player. Yeah, And all the time we're like staff will be like, oh, I heard you were at a banquet or at this. Like, you played basketball? I was like, yeah, I played a little bit, you know, like they just no one ever looks at me and thinks that. A little bit. A little bit, Carl. Yep. If he played a little bit, Carl, what did me and you play? Apparently, we didn't play. No. <laughs> I've never touched a basketball in my life. I don't know. <laughs> and wrap up. Yeah, whatever you want, there. buddy. Oh, yeah. Sure. How are you going? Say hi to the kids. Oh, yeah. Thanks, buddy. Oh, no worries. It was fun.